Hello Skywatchers! Thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Ophelia. And we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in January in this cosmic diary. We're looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies. It's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark. And remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. So if you're out to watch some fireworks on New Year's Eve, why not also look up and see if you can spot some classic winter asterisms. On the 31st of December on New Year's Eve, or on the 1st of January, or throughout the month, if you look south, you should be able to spot the Winter Triangle or the Winter Hexagon. The Winter Triangle is made up of Betelgeuse in Orion, Sirius in Canis Major, and Procyon in Canis Minor, making a neat and almost perfect equilateral triangle in the sky. All these three stars are bright, meaning this is easy to spot even in a light-polluted area. If you wanted to extend the geometry theme further, you could also find the six bright stars from six different constellations that make up the Winter Hexagon instead. These stars in this asterism are Sirius and Procyon, along with Rigel in Orion, Aldebaran in Taurus, Capella in Auriga, and Pollux in Gemini. Amongst these stars, Rigel, as a blue supergiant, and Aldebaran, as a red giant, will be differentiated by their colours. So let your eyes adjust to the darkness, have a careful look, and see if you can appreciate the bluish colour of Rigel compared to the red-orange of Aldebaran. It continues to be a great time of year for planet hunting. If you missed the lunar occultations in December, we have another one on the 1st of January, with Uranus once again appearing to pass behind the moon's face. Here in Greenwich, the moon will just brush past Uranus, but further north in the UK, you'll see either a grazing occultation or a full occultation with the lunar disk entirely blocking the planet. Depending on your location within the UK, your view and the exact timings of the event will vary. For example, if you live in Manchester or anywhere in the UK with a similar latitude, Uranus will start to disappear around 22.29 and reappear at 23.01. Uranus will of course keep on orbiting the Sun in its usual 84-year trek, but if you want to track it throughout the month towards the end of January, it will appear to reverse its direction across the sky. Uranus has been in retrograde, but from the 20th of January, will move to prograde motion once again. This is because the Earth completes an orbit of the Sun much more quickly than Uranus. We effectively overtake Uranus, and so it sometimes looks like it's moving backwards, when it definitely isn't. Mars reached opposition on the 8th of December, and will now be fading throughout the month, but still visible in the sky and a lovely target for observation. And finally, the Earth itself will reach perihelion, its closest point to the Sun in its orbit, on the 4th of January. On this date, it will only be about 147 million kilometres away from the sun. It won't make a difference to our weather, but maybe the thought of our star close at hand will keep you warm while stargazing during the cold January nights. Of course, if you're in the southern hemisphere, you'll be enjoying the summer weather. One summer constellation you could focus on this month is Canis Major, the great dog. The brightest star in Canis Major, and in fact the brightest star in the whole night sky, is Sirius. Sirius appears bright as it's fairly close to the Earth, only around eight and a half light years away. Throughout the summer, Canis Major will be high in the night sky for the Southern Hemisphere viewers. If you want more of a challenge than finding Sirius, try looking for M41, also known as the Little Beehive Cluster. This is found within this constellation. 
If you found Sirius, look four degrees south to spot this beautiful collection of young stars, which contains around 100 members and covers an area of the sky about the size of the full moon. Keen sky watchers might remember the appearance of Comet Nearwise in our skies back in the summer of 2020. There's a possibility of another comet appearance this January, with the somewhat less catchily named C2022E3ZTF approaching us this month. This comet was discovered in March 2022 and will be at its closest approach to the Sun on the 12th of January, and then at its closest approach to the Earth on the 1st of February. This probably won't be as impressive as Comet Neowise, and you'll need a dark sky to spot it with an expected maximum magnitude of around plus 6. However, comet viewing can be unpredictable, so keep your eyes peeled. As this is a long period comet with a 50,000 year orbit, this is probably your only chance. The Quadranted Meteor Shower extends from the 28th of December up until the 12th of January, but it peaks on the night of the 3rd and 4th of January. It can be a fantastic firework display of its own, with showers sometimes peaking at 110 meteors per hour. The quadrantids are also unusual for a number of reasons. Meteor showers are usually named after the area of sky they appear to originate from. For example, the Leonids originate in Leo, the Orionids in Orion, etc. The quadrantids are named after the Quadrans Muralis, which was a constellation that no longer exists. Quadrans Muralis is Latin for mural quadrant. It was first described in 1795, but then emitted from the official list of constellations that was set by the International Astronomical Union in the 1920s. So nowadays, if you want to find the origin of the quadrantids, you'll have to look within the constellation of Butes, not too far from the Big Dipper. This shower is not only interesting in being named after a now non-existent constellation, but the origin of the shower is also unusual. Most meteor showers are caused by comet debris, but it's been suggested that this shower actually comes from an asteroid called 2003-EH1. Meteors happen as the Earth encounters a stream of particles, which then heat up and glow as they speed through our atmosphere. The stream of particles which causes the quadrantids is unusually narrow, meaning that the peak, the sort of height of this shower, is surprisingly short, sometimes only a few hours on a single night. So this fact, combined with the light from the waning gibbous moon on the 3rd of January, means it's going to be difficult to spot these shooting stars. If you do see any, let us know! And as always, if you take any pictures of the night sky, you can share them with us on Twitter at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website, rmg.co.uk. But now, it's time for our cosmic news! Before we get on to this month's news, shall we take a look at the Twitter poll we had running for the last month or so? Yes, I think that's a great idea. So last month we were talking about the moon, weren't we, and the Artemis, Artemis, the Artemis 1 mission to the moon, which has now safely come back down to the Earth, hasn't it, a couple of days ago? Yeah. Congratulations, NASA and everyone who was involved. Yes, so we were speaking about the Artemis 1 mission, and then we were asking the public in general, our listeners, whether they would go to the moon, and would you like me to reveal the answers? Go for it. It was pretty much a resounding yes for would you go to the moon. Um, a lot of people, over 80 people, voted in that particular poll, and 71% would, 29% wouldn't. Interesting. Mm. It sounds like our listeners are braver than, than we are, possibly. 
quite because we were we were just like oh maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think we're more on the fence than them um but great so this month we're back to uh our standard format we've got two different news stories about two different things that we are going to tell you about yes would you like to start yeah yeah i can start i should say we're recording this and it's nice and frosty and cold in fact it's just been snowing here in Greenwich. Uh, So you might hear the fact that we're wearing our coats and you might hear the crack of our heating warming up, but um, (laughs) we are indoors. (laughs) Well, I think think the two things we're gonna talk about are colder than it is here in Greenwich, if that's possible. Nice link, yeah, (laughs) even colder than Greenwich Park. Um, So I wanted to start with some news about Mars. Um, so Mars is quite often in the news, it's a very exciting planet. So we recently had our, our Christmas lecture here at the observatory and we had Professor Sanjeev Gupta talking all about Mars, which was super exciting. He was mainly talking about the Curiosity and Perseverance missions, which he is a part of. Um, but I want to talk about something else, and that is data collected by InSight. Have you heard of InSight? Yes, actually, my name is somewhere on the InSight lander. Is it? Really? Yeah, before they launched, they asked people to get a ticket and I think it's like stored in in its memory or somewhere or something so yeah my name is on Mars that's amazing I want my name to be on Mars (laughs) (laughs) next time let me know (laughs) so yeah InSight uh, launched back in 2018 it landed on Mars in November 2018 Um, it's not a rover it hasn't got wheels it's a lander so it's just sitting on the surface of Mars but it's not just sitting it is it is doing science on Mars. Um, um, one of its main instruments is a, a seismometer, so it's, it's measuring shockwaves on the surface of Mars. Interestingly, the rover, the sort of instrument was on, on the lander, and it had a little robotic arm which picked it up and then very gently placed it down on the surface. Nice. Um, and apparently that was the first time that had ever been done on another planet. And um, they were also attempting to put a, like a heat probe down into the surface, into the soil. Apparently up to five meters down, they were wow. going to go with this probe, but it, the, the surface where they landed wasn't as they expected and it didn't oh. go as far. Okay. Um, but the, the shockwave measuring is working. Um, so they were trying to measure shockwaves on Mars to learn more about the interior of the planet. InSight, if you want to know, stands for Interior Exploration Using Seismic Investigations, Geodesy and Heat Transport. So is it measuring Mars quakes instead, essentially? That is right, earthquakes but on Mars, so Mars quakes. A paper came out recently um, where they have linked a Mars quake that was re- measured by InSight, recorded by InSight, to a meteorite impact, to a couple of different meteorite impacts, which is super cool. Mm. And that's the first time they've managed to do that. And uh, what they also did, first time this has managed to be done, to be achieved, is alongside InSight, which is the lander, and the two active rovers on Mars from NASA and uh, the Chinese Space Agency's active rover on Mars, mm-hmm. we have orbiters going around Mars as well. We have satellites in orbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those being the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. InSight measured these shockwaves and then the satellite went round the planet, as it's doing anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it found the impact craters. So it found the fresh impact craters that we have the recorded waves of. So the two bits of data have been linked, Mm -hmm. um, which is super cool. They're the biggest impact craters we have seen freshly on Mars. So they're big, over 130 meters across these impact craters, about 20 meters deep. And they were really far away from InSight, from the lander. Uh, So one of them was around 3,000 kilometers away. One of them was over 7,000 kilometers away. So like Mm -hmm. around the planet, Mm -hmm. this crater, this meteorite, this piece of rock hit Mars. (laughs) 
And the shockwave travelled through the crust of Mars, through the surface, and then was measured by InSight. Oh, cool. I think that's cool. So did these meteorite impacts kind of make Mars ring like a bell? Cause, cause it to vibrate? And then InSight measured the vibrations through the crust? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very nice analogy. Cool. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> um, so they're the biggest sort of impacts that it's measured so far. And it's almost uh, sort of surprising that it's taken this long because Mars has a very, very thin atmosphere compared to Earth, which means meteorites don't burn up in the atmosphere as often as they do here. So the meteorites that caused these craters, meteoroids, I guess, at that point, um, these bits of rock were between like five and ten metres across, maybe. We haven't observed the rocks themselves. We only observed it once it happened. Um, that size on Earth would probably burn up in the atmosphere, so we wouldn't experience a crater with something like that. But because Mars's atmosphere is so thin... It should get hit by more lumps of rock, so we should record these. Mm. And it's it's lucky that this happened now because Insight is is on its last legs. So we've been going for about four years, this lander, um, but it's covered in dust. If you see photos of it, because it's taken selfies of itself between the start and now, it's looking really quite battered. And that dust is covering the solar panels, and so it's getting less and less power. Mm. Yeah, we've had that problem before, haven't we, with uh, with rovers, other rovers in the past. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. Yep. <laughs> yeah, poor old opportunity. Covered in dust and then died. Do you want to know why we look at Mars quakes? Yes, go. So go we it. are looking at Mars quakes to learn about the structure of Mars, the interior structure of Mars. I feel like it's something we take for granted about the Earth, is that you, you're taught about where the Earth's core is, and then mm-hmm. the Earth's mantle, and then the Earth's crust, and what they're made of, and how thick they are. Right. But we've never been to the Earth's core, right? We've never been down into the mantle. We, we've never cut through the earth like you see in those diagrams in textbooks. We um, haven't cut it like a cake. We have not done a slice like a cake, no. <laughs> I actually looked it up out of interest, and the deepest sort of commercial mine runs to maybe three or four kilometres. So the deepest hole that we've drilled, um, like ever, was uh, back, it was a while back, I think it was in the 90s or 80s, and it was about 12 kilometres deep, which is very, very far for a mm. hole into the earth, but... The, to get to the core, to get to the centre, you'd have to go over 6,000 kilometres down. Okay, that's so, yeah, quite a big, big yeah. difference. So the only reason we know about the interior structure of the Earth is from measuring earthquakes here on Earth and from measuring shock waves. Because the speed, the velocity at which a wave, a wave travels through a surface, through a material, will depend on the properties of that material. So by studying earthquakes, either real ones or artificial ones on the Earth, you can learn about the density of different materials on the Earth and the sort of the types of layers we have effectively how do you get an artificial earthquake you do a big explosion okay yeah <laughs> a safe controlled explosion somewhere far away and then you watch it travel so that's what we're doing on mars now we can't slice into mars like a cake even though it's smaller than the earth so instead we have to measure mars quakes so these impacts being quite far away thousands of kilometers away from from insight is actually quite useful because the wave has traveled seven thousand kilometers through the crust of mars mm-hmm. um, and so you can learn about a a larger sort of area of the surface of Mars, effectively, of the crust. Did they see the impact? We didn't see the impact, we just saw the crater. Yeah, we didn't see the impact itself. I guess Mars is under constant surveillance, because we've always got yeah. a satellite in orbit looking at it, but it's not looking at the entire surface all the time. Yeah. Um, so we, we didn't happen to catch the okay. moment the rock came through the atmosphere, but we have found the craters. Mm-hmm. Um, the craters have also unveiled uh, ice. So if you look at the pictures, there's some, some shiny bits in the crater. Ooh. And that subsurface ice that's been like brought up by the force of the impact. And that's also the lowest 
sort of latitude closest to the equator that we have found direct evidence of ice on Mars. We know there's ice on Mars, mm-hmm. but it's the lowest we found it. So lots of reasons why it's a cool, cool finding. Great. I, mm-hmm. I know InSight has measured Mars quakes before. Why is this sort of important or unique compared to those other measurements InSight has taken? The other Mars quakes were much smaller and much closer to InSight, not as more, as distant as this one. Um, and this is the first one from a, a meteorite impact, which has traveled through directly through the surface of Mars and not through the interior. Oh, okay. Um, so you're learning more about the outer layers of the surface of Mars rather than the inner bits. So they're not the only meteorite impacts we've recorded on Mars. A few smaller ones have been found as well. A paper was brought up about those recently mm-hmm. as well. And now that we have this data on these impacts, and it's so much, it's so definitely linked to an impact, right? Because we have the exact time it happened, and then we have this big fresh crater in the right direction, so we know it was an impact. We can go back through Insight's data, sort of comb through the years of data, and hopefully maybe find some more. And it's quite, because like we said, Earth's atmosphere is very thick, mm-hmm. so we're not going to get impacts like this. So this, is, this isn't science we can do on Earth. Longer term, it'll help us learn more about the planet. And by learning more about the interior of a planet, you can learn about the formation of the planet and why it's cooled, and maybe help solve some mysteries about Mars as well. Ooh. Mm. What I want to know... Mm-hmm. So, because what I did before coming back to the observatory was look at the northern lights on other planets. And one of the things that you'll need is a magnetic field, global magnetic field, um, and Mars doesn't have that. So do you think InSight can help us maybe figure out why it doesn't have a global magnetic field anymore? Maybe, because to have a global magnetic field, you need something to generate that mm. field, right? Which in a rocky planet would be your, your mantle, would be the liquid going around the core of the planet, mm-hmm. the liquid rock. We assume that Mars has cooled down enough that it's not generating that field anymore. Yeah. But there's, there's things we can find out. Are you hoping for northern lights on Mars? Uh, well, Mars has localised northern lights Mm -hmm. so it doesn't have a global magnetic field but it did in the past and some of that magnetism is kind of locked away in in the rocks so it's got some patchy bits yeah it's got some patchy bits and a few different spacecraft um have seen the aurora on on mars so the hope uh spacecraft for example recently have seen um actually quite a few a few of them mm. and they are they mostly give out ultraviolet lights so not light that we can see unfortunately another mystery that learning more about the structure of mars and the early history of mars might help solve is this whole crustal dichotomy ah what's that uh, it's just a really fun phrase i like the word <laughs> crustal dichotomy <laughs> it's the idea that the northern hemisphere of mars and the southern hemisphere of mars are really different super different and we're not sure why. Different how? Because the northern hemisphere is way flatter and, and lower than the southern hemisphere. So if you looked at a sort of map of, of altitude on, on Mars, all the lowland is in the northern hemisphere and then the highlands are in the southern hemisphere. It's higher. But we don't know why. Um, why it's so completely different. Interesting. Mm. So there's a couple different theories about why the one side is lower than the other. One half is lower than the other. Mm-hmm. Either a single very, very big impact or lots of impacts, or maybe some kind of tectonic activity, again linking to like the core and the structure of the interior of Mars early in its history, because now Mars does not have any tectonic activity. If Mars doesn't have like tectonic activity, how can it get Mars quakes apart from these meteorite Im- impacts? Don't know. Hmm. Stuff must still be shifting in some way. Yeah. Could it be linked to the cooling? Oh, 
Maybe. I don't know. I guess if it is cooling, then it'll be contracting, right? And then mm-hmm. bit rocks would move around, cause tremors. So that's my news story. We recorded a seismic wave from a meteorite impact on another planet. Just like that was nothing. <laughs> easy peasy. <laughs> I feel like the scientists and engineers who spent all their time on it probably wouldn't say easy peasy. But... Did, did they say when that actually happened? Because the paper came out recently, but when did the imp- uh, meteorite impact actually happen? There has been a couple. So one, the one 7,000 kilometers away, um, hit on September the 18th, 2021. And then the one 3,000 kilometers away from Insight hit on December the 24th, so Christmas Eve 2021. Yeah, and then it took a while to link it up with the, the data from the photos of the craters, and then obviously a while for the, mm-hmm. the science and the analysis to occur as well. A whole um, year. A whole year. And then in May of this year, the biggest Mars quake recorded so far, like ever, mm-hmm. on Mars happened. It was a magnitude 5, which I think is fairly big. So that's still being analysed, that data, but that's pretty cool as well. It's great that, yeah, InSight has got so little time left. In, yes. in November of this year, NASA said, in the next few weeks... So it's really, it's really oh, reaching the Next few end. weeks, wow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not alive, but it is sad when it dies. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I remember when Opportunity stopped working. And Cassini as well. Mm, Talking Cassini about Cassini. Such a dramatic death as well. Oh, God. Plunging yeah. into Saturn. Talking about Saturn and Cassini. Yes. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to talk about possibly my favourite thing in the whole universe. If I could go to any place, it would be this place. What place? Titan. Titan! I love Titan, it's my favourite <laughs> moon. <laughs> so what's your new story on Titan? Two things, actually. Mm-hmm. So firstly, Titan. Why do we like Titan so much? So many reasons. It's the biggest moon of Saturn. Yeah. That's, that's not particularly special. Anything could be the biggest moon of Saturn. It's the biggest moon of Saturn. It also has a dense atmosphere and liquid on its surface. Mm. And it's the only moon and the only place we have found in the whole solar system to have stable bodies of liquid on the surface. Yeah. Which is wild! <laughs> um, but also, I mean, not only is it the biggest moon uh, around Saturn, it's planet size as well. It's about the same size as Mercury. So it could be a planet. <laughs> it could. If only it wasn't orbiting around Saturn. <laughs> because it's so far away from the sun, these bodies of liquid on its surface aren't water. Uh, it's mostly liquid methane and ethane. Ooh. So hydrocarbons. The temperature, average temperature on Titan is about minus 180 degrees Celsius. Oh, you're right. That is colder than Greenwich Park. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. <laughs> so well, you how, meant- do we, how do we know this about Titan? How do we know? Yeah. We sent something there, right? We did. Mm. We did. Cassini actually brought a little probe called Huygens and uh, Huygens was released from Cassini in late 2004 and it landed on, on, on Titan. So that was the, that's the furthest thing we've ever sent to land on a different place. Mm, I hadn't thought about that. That makes sense because yeah. we've not really explored Uranus and Neptune in the same way at all. No, no. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Huygens, as it fell through the air, took lots of measurements, such as, you know, what the uh, atmosphere is is made of, um, recorded the sound of the winds, and it landed in what looked like a a dried up riverbed. So it saw lots of pebbles and and rocks, and they're they're rounded. So some kind of erosion must have happened. 
to make them that round. We know that from Huygens and from Cassini and observations that the uh, atmosphere is quite active. So there are quite complex weather patterns um, on Titan. And, and just like the Earth, actually, Titan has seasons. And so these weather patterns change with the seasons. It's the only other place, apart from the Earth, that we know of that has rain. We think these, the, the raindrops that fall on Titan can get quite big. So imagine big splashes of ethane and methane <laughs> falling on the ground. <laughs> would be would be picturesque. I'm not sure it would be good for you to stand out in the methane and ethane rain. No, probably probably not. No. Um, because it's smaller than the Earth, it's also got uh, less less gravity, effectively, yeah. right? Uh, so these drops would be falling slowly. Slowly so as massive, well. Massive, slow falling drops. It would be so exciting to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why has Titan been in the news recently? Because that was back in 2004. So JWST recently observed uh, Titan and took some really incredible images, actually. So one of my favourite things is when we discuss photographs over this yes. non-visual medium. <laughs> um, what did it look like when JWST looked at it? Describe it to me. JWST actually saw the methane sea called Kraken Mare. Mm-hmm. Very cool name for a sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also saw dark sand dunes um, and saw clouds as well, sort of uh, shrouding parts of Titan's northern hemisphere. Mm, so that's so much detail. I know. I mean, Titan is hundreds of millions of kilometers away from JWST, so to 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 be able to see that, it's pretty cool. But not only that, astronomers also used the the Keck Observatory in Hawaii to look at Titan 2. So just a few days after the JWST uh, observation. And it also saw a few of these features as well. So it saw the clouds as well. And so using the two data sets, they could see how the clouds sort of moved uh, over the couple of of days uh, in between the two observations. So JWST looks in in infrared. Yeah. uh, Mainly. Sort of end of end of visible mostly infrared. Yeah, right. Keck is also in infrared. Uh, that's my next question. Yeah, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. So both uh, infrared observations. JWC and Keck actually saw two clouds, not just one. The first cloud appeared to sort of be rotating into view, and then the second cloud was either sort of moving out of view, revolving out of view, or it was starting to disappear. By seeing these clouds moving around, helped astronomers to sort of understand Titan's seasonal weather patterns uh, a bit more. I just love everything about Titan. Me too. Yeah. So, because we say it has weather and we say it has rain, but yes. our observations have been quite limited, right? We found that one probe, yep. which went down to the surface and then, and then stopped. Yeah. Like a few measurements on the surface, but that was it. Yeah, because Cassini took some measurements as well mm-hmm. uh, during flybys. Yeah. yeah. So at the moment, they've only sort of release the images um, from these observations. Uh, I don't think they've done any like spectral analysis. So from that, you can you know figure out more about the composition of the clouds, for example, or the atmosphere. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. But not only that, but recently it was announced that NASA's Dragonfly mission has now got a, uh, a, a landing place. This mission is due to launch in 2027. It won't get that until 2034, though. So it's quite a long journey. Oh my goodness, what's that? Four, 
Seven years. Seven years. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, Dragonfly, a robotic mission to Titan. Where's it going to yeah. land? Unlike Huygens, Dragonfly is not a lander. It's a oh. rotorcraft. So a mix between like a drone and a, heli- and a helicopter. Oh, a bit like um, Ingenuity. That's yeah. It's on the body. Yeah, on yeah. Mars. Yes, Ingenuity is, is a bit like a like a tester. It's a bit like a prototype for, for Dragonfly, which I think is kind of strange because like Mars has a very, very thin atmosphere, like you said. Titan has a very, very thick atmosphere. So I, I feel like the two places are going to be quite different. <laughs> um, but anyway... Dragonfly, or, or, or the mission, will land uh, on a place called the Shangri-La June Field. Lovely name. Yeah. So this is close to a crater called Selk. And Selk is about 50 mile uh, wide, or about 80 kilometers wide. And this region looks a bit like a, a desert here on the Earth. So you've got lots of sand dunes, got some mountains and an impact crater. And it's been described as a, a dry region of Titan around the equator. But it does sometimes rain, these, these liquid methane um, raindrops sometimes. And they think that Selk, the, the crater, is thought to be geologically young. So only a couple of hundred years old. Hundred? so young it is yeah but if you think about you know the solar system about four and a half billion years old yeah a couple of hundred million years old um, hundred, sorry i thought you meant a hundred a hundred million <laughs> <laughs> my bad that would be really young <laughs> you're still fresh still yeah. sleeping <laughs> Sorry, so there's a geologically young, geologically not just young. really young, <laughs> geologically young, 100 million year old crater. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they think that the, the impact from the meteorite would have melted the local ice. And so you could have interactions between the, the fresh liquid water with organic mo- molecules that you'll find on Titan's surface. And astrobiologists are particularly interested in the prebiotic chemistry of Titus. So this is chemistry that involves carbon-rich molecules, but not sort of involved in, like, living things. Mm. Pre-living things. Things that could be living things. Yeah. 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 Gone differently. Um, That's amazing. I know I was reading about the the landing site picked for for Insight. Mm -hmm. And obviously landing site is a a thing that has to be considered very, very carefully. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, they... Well, the drone can't go everywhere, it's limited, so you want to pick somewhere as interesting mm. as possible. So they've tried to pick a site with as many different types of mm-hmm. features and things it can explore. But also it has to be a safe site, because what if you go there and then you immediately break the drone? <laughs> and you have to send another seven years sending another drone? <laughs> um, I know with InSight, they picked somewhere near the equator because they wanted as much solar power as possible. That makes sense. And they wanted somewhere as flat as possible for that one, because it's like delicate yeah. experiments. But for this, I guess, I don't, I don't know how, if we know enough, I probably don't know enough about the weather to think about sort of stable weather patterns or stable wind turbulence. Because what if what if we blow the drone away? I know, yeah. Mm. Who knows? I don't know. But it will have, you know, a parachute <laughs> <laughs> to slow its descent. But you know, if you think about it, so so because Titan has such a thick atmosphere, it's got all these clouds. You can't actually see through all of that atmosphere. So. Titan just looks like an orange ball most of the time. You have to use like special cameras and special techniques to see through it. Um, and yeah, imagine trying to land something mm. and you can't see the surface at all. That's a good point. Because yeah, 
for InSight, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the satellite, mm. spent ages taking incredibly high-definition, definition detailed photos of the landing site to plan everything out. Yeah. Um, even with the moon landings, you could look at the moon first and and plan out roughly what you were going to land on. How? Yeah. How? Because you can't make decisions on the fly because of the the time delay. Mm-hmm. How are they going to pick a landing site within that plane? Well, the advantage that Dragonfly has over something like Insight or even uh, rovers like Curiosity and, and Perseverance um, is that it can fly. <laughs> it can travel big distances. So, for example, NASA is saying that for every half hour flight, Dragonfly can travel about 16 kilometers, about 10 miles. And over its uh, expected lifespan of about two years, it can explore an area hundreds of miles or or kilometers across. So this is much, much wider distance than any of the, uh, the rovers. Dragonfly can, you know, even in a single day of of flight, it would have covered more distance than all of the rovers on Mars combined. Wow. That's so cool. Mm. I guess another advantage is the the atmosphere is so incredibly thick and dense that braking is going to be a bit easier. If it lands somewhere not particularly pleasant, Mm -hmm. it won't be going as fast as it would be if there was no atmosphere to slow Mm -hmm. it down. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Uh, It took Huygens several hours to reach the surface. Mm. Yeah. Nice and gentle. Yeah. Titan has thick atmosphere made of nitrogen, a bunch of hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Surface with liquid hydrocarbons, mm-hmm. frozen water ice, potential mm-hmm. liquid water ocean, mm-hmm. rocky crust interior. It's got so many layers. <laughs> <laughs> like an onion. <laughs> I was going to say like, like ogres. <laughs> Do you have any final cool facts about Titan that you want to tell us? So Cassini took several pictures of the proposed landing site. Mm -hmm. And because Cassini flew over this region over different angles, you can actually calculate um, like how how deep the crater uh, is and uh, how tall the sand dunes are as well. Mm -hmm. They have a 3D map. Yeah, yeah. How high is the rim of the crater? It's about 200 metres tall in some parts, and the tallest bit is about 600 metres. Mm-hmm. So that's higher than, than some people expected, meaning that it's less, less eroded than they thought. So maybe weathering isn't such a, such a big deal over there on Titan, even though it's got, you know, weather and wind and mm-hmm. rain and stuff. Interesting. I mean, I guess so the rain doesn't... It's not as frequent as, as, as it is here on Earth, so it can, it can be decades until, until it actually rains. So everything is sort of slowed down hmm. geologically compared to here, maybe? Maybe. Because, yeah, so a rock hits the surface, there's a big crater forms, and then very gently and slowly over millions of years, processes will, will erode the crater down again, so it will sort of slump back down, um, depending on what material you're made of, or depending on how fast it slumps in. And Yeah. yeah. Will... And of course... In the far future, the sun's going to expand into a red giant. Its surface is going to get closer to Titan. So who knows? Titan might warm up in the future. Mm. It might become Earth-like. If it warms up, we will no longer have liquid methane and ethane because it will become a gas mm-hmm. like it is here on Earth. When you fart, methane is, is part of that. Um, <laughs> it's got to throw that in. 
So you think all of that will evaporate and then you're left with with what is an icy crust of water ice. So that might melt and then you'll have an ocean world. Maybe. Oh, I just think Titan is amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would really like to glide across the surface of, of Titan. Mm, they've uh, done the maths, right? Mm. It's a very, very dense atmosphere and there's less gravity. Flying mm -hmm. would be easier mm -hmm. than it is here on Earth. Yeah, be able to fly like birds, flap our arms using a wingsuit. Maybe. And I would also like to maybe sail on the sea. On the Kraken Sea. Yeah, because uh, they've seen waves on they have? the seas, yeah. That's a lot of detail. Mm. Brilliant. Well, that's our two news stories for this month. Mars quakes and drones going on around Titan and of course the images of Titan that have been taken recently. So if you want to vote for your favourite news story you can go to our Twitter account which is at ROG Astronomers at the start of the month so this will be the the start of January. Happy um, New Year! Happy New Year! And vote for your favourite. But that's everything from me, thank you for listening. And as always, keep looking up! <laughs>